hello. Welcome to episode 7 of the People in the Dark podcast. This episode is a conversation with podcaster Spooky Services, um, who a couple of months ago maybe had a tweet saying that if any if anyone wanted to, to come on the podcast to talk about a number of films, well, one of which was, was Blair Witch 2, uh, to get in touch. And so... And because I'm kind of obsessed with Blair Witch 2, I've always been a huge fan, I immediately got in touch and said, uh, yes, go on the podcast. I was actually looking to wrap up this season of the podcast, but now I thought, no, I have to have to do this because um, as we'll get into in the episode, I think there's so many sort of fascinating things about Blair Witch 2. And for me, particularly about the kind of the making of it, I think what I hadn't really realised and what I kind of got from the conversation with Sarah is actually is quite an interesting film in its own right. It's sort of, and I definitely kind of picked up on that rewatching it again as well. Interesting fact about this episode is uh, I had COVID. I managed to avoid COVID completely, but then I went to the download music festival in mid June and um, picked up COVID there, obviously because wash bits and stuff. And, um, yeah, so which by so by the time I recorded this, I was kind of fine, but I'd been basically isolating and kind of quarantined myself in my son's bedroom, and yeah, so it was going, I think it was a bit going a bit mad, uh, which I don't know. I don't think there's any difference than than a normal episode, but you know that just as an excuse. Yeah, okay, so I'll I'll be back at the end, but before we get into the episode. Just a reminder, my book, Astroth, is still available. There'll be a link in the description. It's a, a haunted house ghost story about two rival ghost hunters who attend the same haunting, both have very different methods, and uh, everything kind of goes wrong from there. Uh, I've had really great reviews on it, so definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, in the meantime, here's me and Spooky Sarah says talking about Blair Witch 2. I wanted to start with just talking a bit about the the original Blair Witch Project and um, do, do you kind of remember seeing that for the first time and what your so, impressions were of that? Yeah, I did, and it's funny because I didn't see it in the movie theater because it came out and I was it was just when I started high school, so hmm. it was it was when it came to VHS that I actually saw it for the first time and I was obsessed. I mean, that's like, a good way to see it. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 that was, I always joked that Blair Witch Project was like my first fandom mm-hmm. because I bought all of the, like, the, I don't know if they had them in the UK, but here, you know, we had like the curse of the Blair Witch was, which was like the little mockumentary oh, tape yeah, that yeah. did of it. And then Blockbuster, which is a video rental place, they had their own called like Sticks and Stones, the Blair Witch exclusive. And so oh, I bought right. that and I bought the, the dossier book and I had the journal. And I mean, I was obsessed. Like anything Blair Witch that came out, I was all about it. I wanted right. it. It was definitely like it hit for me. Like I've been a found footage fan ever since. Right. And I I just I remember being so blown away by like how different it was from everything else I had seen. You know, I was young. I, I was yeah. gosh, 1999. I was 15 years old. Like 
So my like, my experience with horror up till that point was primarily like universal monsters and old horror because that was my mom. She wasn't really one to censor me, but she was not going to pay for me to watch what she dubbed like the garbage slasher horror movies. She wanted right. me like if I saw him at a friend's house, she didn't care, but she mm-hmm. wasn't going to pay for it. Oh, so, I see. That's a good rule. <laughs> so I got brought up on, you know, Vincent Price and all of the universal monster movies and all of the classics. So coming into like my teenage years was when I started watching, you know, more contemporary horror Mm -hmm. and also like whatever I could see on TV with like, you know, monster vision on TNT with Joe Bob Briggs. Like I I saw a lot of that stuff, but edited because obviously it's TV. So when I saw Blair Witch Project, you know, it was very, different to anything i had seen at that point yeah and in a way i think my background was sort of similar like i was i was brought up on the kind of classic yeah it was similar because i was brought up on the sort of classic kind of monster films that was the stuff my dad showed me but then i would watch slasher films around my friend's house as well so there was yeah there was it was sort of similar but i was i must have been 19 when it came out and i was at university because because were you were you aware of the sort of internet like all that that stuff the internet I, hype and- I was I was and I was one of the few people like you know who I was like my family were early adopters of the internet like we used Prodigy like way right. back when okay and so I remember seeing that stuff and like going to the website and just being like oh my gosh this is real like it's got to be real right. Right, right. And then obviously, if you watch the movie at the end of the VHS tape, it's like, oh, this is a work of fiction, blah, blah, blah. Mm, Yeah, yeah. But it was still really cool to see like the website and how it just like built into this like fan base. And it, it, Mm. it really created something that I feel like hadn't been done with found footage up until that point. Cause you had like McPherson tape and the last broadcast, but those didn't get like nearly the hype that the Blair no. Witch Project did. No, and, and I think it's been a while since I saw it, but last broadcast is quite, it doesn't quite work as well. No, it really, it, it doesn't at all, actually. <laughs> like, yeah. I watched it, and even McPherson tape, I, I feel like is a little bit kind of eh. Like, I know that it's considered, you know, the first, but it's not yeah. that good. Is that the alien one? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So I have seen because I watched um I watched that documentary on Shudder the uh, the fan footage documentary, and and they kept talking about McPherson tapes. And I th- I think I've seen it, but I think yeah. It's the, from what I remember, I just remember it not being very good. <laughs> like yeah, the, the aliens look so bad. <laughs> yeah, they look like the aliens look like people wearing gray sweatsuits and yeah. like rubber masks, and so it's really not that scary, and it's just not that good, but. I don't know, because I obviously am in the US and you're in the UK. Did you see like Ghostwatch when it came out? Because it's... Ah, no. So so weirdly, I was was at school when that was on and it was a massive deal, but we didn't didn't watch it. <laughs> I think because they because they used they use like real real TV presenters. Like I wish I yeah. had this story because this would be a, would it would be because I've seen I love Ghostwatch. Like I've seen it. I saw it a few years later, and because uh, someone I've, I met someone at uni who who taped it, it sort of recorded it onto VHS, and I watched it then. And uh, but at the at the time, 
because it was yeah because it was these presenters who were on tv and i think i think my parents just saw those presenters and thought well that would be terrible because they were sort of cheesy <laughs> kids present kids tv presenters mostly they were sort of light entertainment you wouldn't it's complete what they did was completely unexpected it's hard to think of an equivalent now but it'd be someone i don't know whoever's popular on sort of i think tv's different now i suppose but like early morning tv and just having them suddenly appear in this horror show and pretending it's real it's it's sort of unheard of um but i remember everyone talking about it at school i remember going to school the day after and and that's all everyone was talking about and um and then because of that that was the nature of like tv then that was that was just gone <laughs> it's like oh i missed that then. yeah <laughs> and it's and that's like that's what i find really interesting because like i find that to be far more effective in terms of found footage than the mcpherson tape and you know the last broadcast mm. which i you know mcpherson tape came out first so obviously it is the you know the forefather the grandfather yeah. it's the it's the start but the last broadcast, I think, is like 1998, I want to say. Yeah, it's 1998, which is like right before Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And, but Ghost Watch is 1993. But I think because it was like a made for TV thing, it doesn't, it just doesn't get that like recognition. No, I mean, it wasn't until. Oh, 92. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until the sort of uh, DVD. So the popularity of DVDs that it, I think BFI at the British Film Institute released a DVD. I don't know. Presumably, it's on DVD in the states. Is it? Is it available it's, in the it's states? It's not. Or? I don't oh, okay. think it is. Like I think if you want it, you have to get a Region B copy. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's. So I think it had a bit of a resurgence on DVD. They did a sort of special edition DVD with all the sort of making of stuff, but it's still. Um, yeah, and it was uh, very briefly on Shutter, I think. Oh, was like, it? I, oh, okay. I think it streamed really super briefly, but then right. it's it's not like streaming anywhere in the US again. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm actually kind of surprised. I I kind of figured that it would be on like, you know, on Amazon you can get like channels and here in the states we get like there's like the BFI channel and then right. there's like BBC and Eggcorn and they have all of the like a lot of the UK content. And I'm surprised yeah. that that's just not available that way. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is it is kind of amazing. <laughs> it's a, sim- it's a really it's a, fantastic piece of found footage, and yeah. like I said, it's I think it's a stronger case for found footage, as it were, mm. than McPherson tape is. Like I feel like Ghost Watch actually was really pretty creepy. Like it's silly, but it it had really good moments. Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's that that great moment where. The camera, they're in the girl's bedroom and the camera goes past and you see a figure standing in the in the in the corner and then they they go back into the room and it's gone and then they have someone phone in, I think, saying, Oh, I just saw something because mm-hmm. they have because I, I, I think it was fake, it was fake people phoning in. There was a number you could call, but um <laughs> they uh yeah, and then they and then obviously it's gone and, and but th- things like oh yeah, it's really there's some really clever stuff. And the overall idea of this and this is sort of a spoiler for anyone who's going to watch it but the the idea of that they've created this kind of psychic energy by everyone watching this sort of participating in this seance on on tv i thought was was really clever because the, i think ghost watch came out of sort of a legitimate sort of route because it came through it was on bbc which is our sort of biggest biggest channel and had kind of 
a production budget behind it. And I think there's almost this kind of um, two opposing views with fan footage is that there's the, there's, there's the more kind of polished, like ones like that. And I suppose McPherson, McPherson says was coming from that sort of more kind of, Oh, this is the type of film we can make if you've got no money type. Yeah. And so, um, which I think I can definitely see the, see the appeal of, appeal of that, but I always think maybe I should watch it see that again because I, I, I don't even remember if I saw the whole thing through but <laughs> yeah I um, feel like part of it was used like on unsolved mysteries right and so I feel like a lot of people saw parts of it through that and maybe that's like what they remember right right okay yes it could have been it could have been something like that yeah yeah um I mean weirdly when I when I saw Blair Witch Project for the first time uh because I, I so I did go to the theater to see it and and was not was not a fan at all at first because it was it was such the wrong it was the wrong way to see it really because it was on a big screen and you just it just makes you feel a bit sick because it's, it's like the camera's moving around and and everything and I also think and and I I still struggle with this today to a degree I really struggle with when things are hyped up so much and there was such massive expectation for this film. And that I just went, especially in those days when I was sort of 19, I was a bit of a film snob and kind of went in there <laughs> sort of like, or I think probably set, set against it. Like, and so I came out kind of, oh, that wasn't so good. And, and so I remember complaining about it to my friends and, um, and it wasn't until years later when I saw it on TV and I watched, I think, I don't know whether it was the same night, but they, I watched uh, Curse of the Blair Witch as well. And seeing that and seeing how much, because again, all the, all the internet stuff, I think so we, I was at university, so we didn't, and I didn't, I never had my own, um, my own computer or anything. I, we had, we, so we just used the ones on the campus, which uh, I didn't used to use that often. This is a long-winded way of saying I wasn't that internet savvy at the time. So I didn't really, <laughs> like I was aware it was an internet thing, but I hadn't been on the website or anything. And um, uh, yeah, so I hadn't quite been, I hadn't quite realized how much of the backstory there was and i found that i found i still find the curse of the blair witch documentary as scary as uh, as blair witch project i think some of the the way that's put together and the way the stories are told is still sort of it's really believable and yeah so i really like that and then uh, yeah and seeing it seeing it on seeing it on tv i sort of got it then i was like oh okay this no this is this is amazing and, and it's, it's sort of since then become one of my favorite horror films but it was a uh, yeah, it was only a second viewing that it sort of became that. Yeah, I I feel like with Blair Witch, like I was really just like a big fan. Like mm. I don't know what it was, I don't know why it drew me, but I liked it, and I I thought it was creepy. But I like like I said, I definitely saw it on VHS, yeah, and I saw it on like a a thirteen inch TV because at the time that was the size of my TV screen. Yeah, it was a little yeah. little thirteen inch CRT. I mean, I had that. TV from fourth grade until I was like 20. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that thing lasted forever. Yeah. But I just, I feel like there was something about Blair Witch. And I mean, I'm still a huge fan. Like I, I will watch anything Blair Witch. I will, if they, if they put out a hundred more movies, I would go see every single one of them. I still buy Blair Witch merch. Like I have, I have like Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, like minifigures that Cooper oh, put out. Like, I, I'm a fan. Like I I have just about every Blair Witch book that's come out. I right. I've I've started trying to piece together the collection of the like they did these like YA like 
young adult like fiction books called the Blair Witch Files. Uh, okay, right. Yeah. And so I started buying those. Like I, I'm trying to find them. They're very expensive because you know they're like young adult paperbacks. Which when kids had them in the 2000s, what do you do? You read them and mm-hmm. toss them, or they get beat up. They don't. You know they don't last. So I I've just I've always been into it. It was a it was a movie that kind of sunk its teeth into me. Yeah, well, I can I can totally I can totally see why. I think uh, as, as I, I think if I'd known a bit more about the backstory, and I think this is where this is where it because it gets interesting with with Blair Witch too. Um, but yeah, so if we get move on to that, so it's only like a year later that which is it was one of the amazing things about it that the Book of Shadows comes out. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was literally like a year later. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. And um, so did you, uh, What? how did you see that? Did you Did you see that at the theatre? That one I went to the theatre because at that point I was, I was like fully on board. Mm. And so I, you know, I went with like a friend, we were in high school. And so we went and saw it and I was, I loved it from like moment one. Like there right. was no, there was never like a lot of people, you know, over time since it's come out have said you know oh it's grown on me oh i i like it much more now than i did before i've day one i was a fan right like i i bought the soundtrack i was i was so into it you know and subsequently i have bought the book there because they did the the author who did the dossier for the first movie they actually did do a book of shadows book okay right and so i bought that one as well like i just like a couple years ago, bought that one and read it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I really like it. I love the mythology that this movie brought to the table. And I think that's what most people miss about it. Right. They look at it and they're like, Oh, it's not found footage. Oh, it's awful. But like, if you watch this movie and you paid attention and you read all of the other stuff, Mm-hmm. about Blair Witch there's a lot in this movie that makes a lot of sense and there's like a lot of easter eggs I mean I don't know if you remember even the DVD had like the whole secret of S River which was like watching yeah. it in reverse and like rewinding things to see words and yeah so I watched it on DVD uh, the other night and uh I couldn't get my head around that because <laughs> i had it i used to i think i think it was my brother's copy so i had to get another one but i we had it so so i, I saw it i saw it at the theater as well and I, I saw it with my brother and a friend I, I remember liking it like i remember but it it was the it was the dvd that made me love this film like because i loved the two sort of mini films that are on there the is it the shadow of the Blair witch on this one and there's one called the Burkittsville Seven, which is really mm-hmm. interesting, and uh, I love those. Uh, but I particularly the director's commentary on that DVD has always stuck with me because <laughs> I think it's one of the best director's commentaries, ever. and it's sort of it's sort of why I love the film. <laughs> is the is the um, it's one of those, and it, this this it used to happen to me a few times in the in the kind of particularly in the kind of late nineties two thousands where my opinion of a film would be changed by hearing the director talk about it on a commentary track. And then it'd be like, okay, now I get it now. And so, yeah. so I don't know if I was a huge fan. I mean, the things I listened to it, what, what, what really struck me when I watching it was um, the soundtrack was like, it's like all the music I listened to then that was everything I loved. <laughs> like at yeah. That time. yeah, for sure. And it's, I think it's funny because like the soundtrack 
it was interesting that it actually had a soundtrack because Blair Witch Project did not, but yeah. they did sell a soundtrack for Blair Witch Project, um, which was called it was like called Josh's Mixtape or something, and it was okay. like, and it was basically a bunch of like goth music right which was kind yeah. of interesting like it was like Bauhaus and mm-hmm. Susie and the Banshees and Lydia Lunch and so right. like it was like this really like kind of weird dark soundtrack that's nowhere really in the movie yeah and then this one you got like you know Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson and System of a Down yeah. and and it was just a really like different feel I think that's the thing because I was I was massively into that that kind of into the kind of new new metal sort of music and this film there aren't I don't think there are any a lot of the films use that music but I also think this film kind of captures the aesthetic of that sort of scene as well like it it's there's something very kind of um, I think partly because of Jeff's a bit of a punk and then you've got Kim who's a goth and you kind of it feels like it's in that zone. <laughs> Yeah, to me, what it reminds me of is it feels very like early 2000s horror. Like, this is like because it was 2000, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's this is like one of those movies that I think like epitomizes early aught horror, which I love. Like, I know a lot of people do not like the, the horror movies of the early 2000s, but I feel like this was like. When for me specifically, I started going to the movies to see horror movies. And so like I, a lot of these movies, like, you know, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, Darkness Falls, like, like all of these, like, and they all kind of use like the similar kind of soundtrack style where it's like that alt rock kind of, you know, yeah. and I I have, so I have a total soft spot for these type of movies, which is, I think also why I'm very quick to defend book of shadows. I really do love that this time period for horror, like even the bad ones are still sometimes pretty fun. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's the key word in a way is that they were fun. They they were sort of, because I think everything, I I suppose it's that you sort of start with scream and that kind of, kind of sets the sets the tone for everything that kind of follows on in the kind of late 90s early 2000s because there was they were all kind of i mean and especially this one they've all got this kind of slightly postmodern self-referential edge to them but yeah they're definitely like definitely fun and i think i had i had a similar thing where yeah they were films like any any new horror film i'd go i'd go and see i guess it was the last time you had this many horror films coming out with big releases, I suppose, um, that uh, with with such sort of frequency, I suppose. Yeah, so. and I think I think a lot of what it was too at the time is they had like serious moments or like mm. gore or something, but they also somehow felt like they weren't taking themselves super seriously. Like I yeah. feel like a lot of horror now, because we we see a lot of horror movies dealing with like you know trauma and. Yeah. And like sort of more of a obvious political take and which don't get me wrong. I really enjoy like current horror. It's, it's some of the best horror I've ever seen, but I feel like in the early two thousands, like there was a lot less of that. It didn't, or it didn't feel as obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So movies kind of felt silly and fun and like you were going to the movies to have popcorn and watch a jump scare. Like it wasn't, 
it wasn't as serious and you didn't really have to think about it as much. Like there wasn't as much to process, I guess. Yeah, but I do, uh, I think with this film, we'll sort of get into, but there's actually quite a lot going on. <laughs> in, oh yeah, in, for sure. I think with this one, I think in a way, uh, it's not necessarily the problem with it, but it's, it's sort of, well, certainly where the director had had struggles with the, with the studio, but um I never know with things like this whether people have. I assume most people have seen it already, but like, just in case, I'll sort of cover I the mean, cover I the. Mean, feel free. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go. I'm just going to cover the the the, the brief plot because isn't that so? It's it starts so it's immediately after. Well, a year after Blair Witch One, and it's it sort of it opens with a montage. I think it opens like this with the montage of the town, like interview with the residents of the town who have kind of town of Burkittsville who have kind of some are kind of annoyed with the attention that Burkittsville has got since the Blair Witch Project came out. And then some of them have kind of found a way to profit from that um, attention. So they're sort of selling bits and pieces and souvenirs and things. Uh, and then into that, you get this character, Jeff, who is running tours, Blair Witch tours. It sort of shows you several time periods at the same time. So you also see Jeff being interrogated for doing something some sort of crime which i don't think they really explain straight away and then you also see jeff has had a history with mental illness and has been in some kind of institution uh, that all happens near the beginning <laughs> um and then you get jeff go he, he's running his first tour and he goes and picks up the other characters and it sort of goes from there and it's about him going well they're all going to they're going to visit the locations from Blair Witch Project. They have this crazy night in the woods whereby they lose about five hours. And then the rest of the film is them kind of trying to piece together what happened whilst also going a bit mad. Um, <laughs> that's, that's basically the <laughs> basic summary. Well, I mean, there's loads of stuff to talk about for this because I think one of the things that, that, that I think is really interesting to start with is I think the characters are all really good. <laughs> like, they're, they're all really interesting. Like they're not. It's not like, oh, uh, here's a bunch of teenagers for their, and they're going to go and explore the, the Burkittsville woods for for a laugh, and all now they all get killed. It's there. You've got you've got Jeff, who's the the tour guide, who has obviously got a troubled history. Then there's um there's Erica, who's the who's the witch, the actual witch, who's yes. Sort of, there to kind of defend <laughs> i don't know i don't know quite why, why she goes on the tour but she's she's got an issue with the way that the blair witch project uh, depicted she witchcraft. also she also kind of wants to commune with ellie Kedward right. and, oh, yes yeah. you know become connected more toward with her that's it yes yeah okay yeah that's it and then um uh, and then there's kim who's the the goth who's i guess just wants to go because it's cool <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, she's, she thought the movie was cool. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's. I mean, and again, that's probably who I relate to most. I'm like, yeah, that's why I w I'd want to go. <laughs> but um, and then there's a uh, uh, Tristan and oh, what's the guy's name? Stephen. Um, Stephen. That's it. Who are kind of academics? They're kind of writing a book about the the whole thing. Yeah. So, it was a, but it's a really interesting mix of characters because they're not. They're all quite different. They're all. They're all sort of kind of likable they're all kind of all got their quirks and you're not kind of it, it doesn't do that thing that i think a lot of those um a lot of those films in the sort of early 2000s did do where there'd be a, 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 at least one of the characters would just be a dick and you'd be like well they're gonna die first because 
they're a dick. And yeah, you know, oh, where they just fall into the the, the archetypes. Um, whereas these characters, you had no idea who was going to get it first or, or what, because it just sort of they just felt really refreshing and different. I thought, um, and I think that still holds up now. Yeah, I, I feel like they 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 try to kind of play into the trope of like horror movies where you have like you know like the jock, the pretty girl, this, that, and the other. But they kind of like subvert that trope by creating new tropes. They're like, oh, well, we've got the witch and the goth and the like the one the woman who's emotionally troubled because she's pregnant, doesn't want to keep the baby, and then yeah. her kind of jerky you know, boyfriend who, you know, thinks he's kind of like this. And then you've got the crazy guy. So like they, they take those tropes and then they're like, but we're going to change it up a little bit. Like, we're not gonna, we're not going to play by the rules. Like we're going to, we're going to kind of do our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that kind of stands to like, also like just like book of shadows in general is like, it's a sequel to a found footage movie that isn't found footage particularly. So, hmm. so it it already is telling you we're not going to play by the rules here. Well, this is so. This is this is what uh, this is the thing about it is is that so the uh, the director uh, was was Joe Berlinger. I don't know if do you know much about? Have you seen much of his other work, his documentary work? I haven't seen it, but I have it on my watch list. I do know that he did not like this movie. Like he's to this day still does not like this movie. Apparently, well, so what's interesting is I thought that. <laughs> but actually when you listen to the and I st- when you listen to the commentary track he in my in my memory he hated it and spends the whole commentary complaining but actually when you watch it he's clearly quite proud of what he did with it it's just that there are things that the studio made him change that he's still unhappy with and has just got to live with because he was brought on so so that, I guess at that point he'd done uh, he'd done Brothers Keeper, which is his first sort of. It's him and another guy, uh, Bruce Sinoski, I think, who did. Um, the, and Brothers Keeper was their first big documentary, and then they did the Par- Paradise Lost series. So, which yeah, is the first, the first two, I think, had been made at this point. The idea of getting him to do it, and again, I, I hadn't seen Paradise Lost when I first saw Book of Shadows. But it does seem like good on him for doing it because it does seem incredibly sort of distasteful that that you go, or you, you made these really brutal kind of documentaries about um, the true crime documentaries. Really, I mean, he basically yeah. invented the true crime documentary, and and to then go, oh yeah, come and do this this horror film, with the only connection being that that the original was done in a documentary style. It's almost crazy that he agreed to do it because he uh, the way he tells it is he went into artisan to pitch another film and and as the as these things often go they said no but actually we've got this this other idea and he kind of put off doing it i don't think he was that keen to do it to begin (laughs) with and eventually they said look it's ready to go we've got the money and i think like films take so long to put together i think just having something that's ready to go and has got the money is such i think this is why a lot of people do make the decisions they make is that, that that's such a kind of rare thing to happen so uh so yeah he agrees to do it and then but his his fundamental issue was that as a respected documentary filmmaker he cannot go and make a fake documentary because it would just be completely undermining 
everything he'd ever done. So he can't, then that's what they want him to do. Well, that they, what they wanted was for him to come in and to just do Blair Witch Project 2, as at the time you would have imagined it would be done. So to do another found footage film, essentially. But ethically, there's no way he can do that. <laughs> Yeah. So he's presented with this problem, which he then fixes by just doing the opposite at every turn, just the opposite of what you would expect. <laughs> um, which I think is, and I do think that's why the film, for me, that's what 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 I love about it is that it's just not that he just went in and did did everything he wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think really like what works for me in this film, in terms of like what he did, is that like I really like that he paid attention to like small details from the original Mm -hmm. and like for me i i love i love finding easter eggs in movies like that to me like when you get like filmmakers who put like that much extra detail into something yeah i always really appreciate it and like you know there's the scene where the guy is fixing the fridge Mm. at when kim goes to get the beer and he's laying on the floor and he says, I'm done now yes. or I'm done here. And that's what Rustin Parr said when he yeah. came back to town. And if you notice next to him, his tools are in the shape of a stick man. Oh, wow. No, I didn't notice that. Wow. And like, so like you get stuff like that or like yeah. the fact that spoiler at the end, it's two guys and one woman who are left, which is the original trio in the original so like it's 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 things like that like when you when you get these like little details that someone took the time to like put in that's where that's where i like this one because a lot of the mythology is built up yeah and or talked about you know like ellie kedward like they bring her up more and you know did you see a picture of her and and i just i think that it's interesting that this movie gets so much like disdain like people just don't like this movie and i you know i love the the concept of you know film always lies videotape never does so basically everything they're recording in the movie is what's really happening yeah yeah and what we're watching is the lie yeah, well, because that's that's. I mean, I guess that's the bit I skipped. Is the the the, the at the beginning, it opens with the explaining that this is a reenactment of an actual crime. So, so what they're proposing is that the film you're watching, even though it's not found footage, it is a reconstruction of something that actually actually happened. Which I think exactly, kind of, yeah, which kind of it kind of plays into that kind of true crime TV show thing so yeah i think i think that just kind of work um but yeah that is and that's what i I love the whole second half of the film where they're just kind of trying to figure out what happened and all they've got are these these tapes i mean that the because it takes such a weird turn like it starts with that you you have the bit in the woods and then you have that party night where they're just they're just in the woods kind of drinking which now i'm older just makes me feel quite sick just <laughs> <laughs> they drink so much and they're mixing the drinks it's not good <laughs> they drink yeah so no much i'm like drinking. i'm like two white claws over here and i'm out for the night like <laughs> no. No, I, I don't i don't know how i i would drink as much as i did in my late 20s because now that i'm in my late 30s i'm like oh no yeah no i can't like, handle it at all <laughs> like two, 
two drinks and I'm I'm down for the count. Like. Yeah, yeah. So um, and the and the times I have the the recent the recent the very rare times I have drunk quite a lot because um, I'm I'm 42 now. But the hangovers afterwards are just horrible. So when they get when they wake up and they're just in the woods uh, and it's it's just oh no. I can I can feel it. <laughs> just, this must yeah. be the absolute worst. But but then there's that amazing scene where they they wake up and all the um, there's like it's like snowing paper and it's all the uh, the couple's kind of research papers have just been shredded. Everything's been the whole thing's been trashed. But it's it's just a really bizarre kind of surreal, beautiful scene where it's just kind of snowing and they kind of wake up not knowing what's what's happened and 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 from there it just gets kind of progressively stranger joe berlinger's big kind of um objection to the whole thing and this is what he keeps saying in the in the commentary was so he he wanted it to be a kind of as well as being an anti uh anti-fan footage film he wanted it to be kind of anti-horror in a way he wanted no he didn't want any gore in the film at all he also wanted it to be linear so that you wouldn't so the, the bit i mentioned about the interview footage from the beginning and the the kind of insane asylum footage he didn't all of that in his i think the insane that the asylum footage they made him add and the interview footage was all at the end so you kind of you had no idea going in well in his script you had no idea going in that where it would end up until the end because it would be more linear um but all those kind of because it's full of um cutaways to people being stabbed and the yeah the murders that the the, the coffin rock yeah reenactment yeah. that they the real life reenactment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, so all those all those cutaways weren't. He was it was, which I can kind of, I can kind of see. Like, I think it's this thing about trusting. You need to trust your audience quite a lot to say, "Oh, well, okay, we'll, we'll just." I mean, I think the fact that it's a Blair Witch sequel, you'd think you'd be able to trust the audience to go. Well, we know this is a horror film, but I think sometimes there's a worry that if you don't set the tone right and if you don't put lots of kind of gore in early on, then then people lose interest. And I, well, um, and I think though, I I think that with to that point, you really have to look at like the Blair Witch Project, and yeah. there's very little blood and very little gore. Yeah. So it yeah. almost feels like the studio was like, "How do we up the ante here? Like, how do we?" How do we like, you know, make this not a repeat of the same thing? Let's add some gore. Let's add some more violence to it. Because if you think about it, the the original Blair Witch Project is pretty like mild. Like yeah, yeah. The, the, the scares are completely psychological, not, yeah. not the gore graphic. And I think what they were trying to do with this is, you know, bring in that like that more early 2000s gore to compete with movies like scream and i know what you did last summer and yeah. kind of to play into that like pantheon of like horror that was starting to come around in the early 90s yeah or late 90s i mean yeah yeah i think i think i think that's the thing i think they thought there was an expectation that that, that they had to hit um but i think in a way the only reason I think if in a traditional, if this had been a more traditional kind of process, the, the, there's no way the film would have been released in its current form. Because it's it's only because they had this they had this release date, they wanted to come out a year after to sort of capitalize on on what 
and how successful Blair Witch Project had been. So it was it was all in this this huge rush. So he talked then and this is why this is why I'm fascinated. That's why I love the commentary is because he talks about how he sort of hands in his edit. They're not happy with it, but there's only five weeks until the until the premiere until it's like on across <laughs> the country. So so he had to he reshot he I mean he because and. To be fair to him, he did do it. Like he shot the gore scenes. He didn't. He didn't sort of. You know, you get so many. Uh, I always think that's in some way. Is it more impressive? But you get the you get the, the directors who just quit and go, no, that's I'm not doing that, and, and walk away. But he wanted like this. This is the thing. I think he believed enough in what he'd done already to say, well, no, I'm. I want to keep involved in this. So fine, if that's what it takes to get this out, then I'll do the. I'll do the extra gore shots. Well, and, and it's it's do. also interesting, and I, I didn't realize this until I just like this second looked it up. The other writer on this movie mm. did the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Uh, okay, so that is it, interesting. And that was 1999. So that's like, you know, the late 90s, early aught horror. Yeah. And so that like makes a lot of sense why like, you know, you have one writer who's clearly already done like, you know, this isn't like Book of Shadows isn't a remake, it's a sequel, but like, mm. but, you know, following up to an original that was yeah. a black and white, you know, like low scare horror, mm-hmm. he had the experience clearly. Like, so they probably were like, oh, let's have this other guy. Like he, you know, he, he gored up yeah. <laughs> House on Haunted Hill. Let's gore up. Blair Witch, yeah, and like let's yeah. make it. I, I I really do feel like the they didn't want to just like because there was you know a lot of people who didn't like Blair Witch because the shaky cam found footage made them sick. Mm. So how do you market that? Well, you or how do you market a sequel to something? Well, you make it not really found footage, but you know having it deal with found footage. Yeah, well, this I think this this is the, yeah this is what's interesting about it is that. Because the, and the film's almost also about the kind of impact of Blair Witch Project. Like I think that's where you get a character like Erica, who's kind of talking about how it's the the, the, the response of the Wiccan community, I suppose. And then you have the the two academics who there was obviously a lot written about Blair Witch when it when it came out um, but also about the impact on the town about this uh, town because I think I think that is true that people did descend on that town and uh, were trying to find um, but I think that I, I mean I don't like I'm sort of met, like this is from memory so I don't know for sure but because um, it is a real town isn't it it's not a yeah it yeah. is the story the folk story I don't think is real no but no. but there is a Burkittsville yeah yeah so this so i think this is it is that people just did descend on burkersville kind of doing what the characters are doing in the film trying to trying to find evidence of the blair witch because i think this is this is this is the, the and this is sort of what they wanted to try and comment on is that for me the appeal of fan footage and the appeal of blair witch is kind of believing that like in order for that film to work i do switch off the part of my brain that says this didn't happen and go and because it's fun to believe that this is actual fine footage and go oh, what for the 90 minutes that i'm watching this film this is a tape that someone's found of actual footage and that's how it works like you you just sort of suspend your disbelief to go along well, that's with. that's what makes it scary is yeah, because yeah. you know you're watching something that was like it happened like yeah and i think that's like what when you watch found footage now like that's almost 
like it goes back to something you said earlier about like the quality, like when it's too good, it, it doesn't, it loses something because it doesn't feel, you know, like it's found footage anymore. It feels like an edited piece of work. And that's like a pet peeve of mine is like when you get like found footage movies that have scores and I'm like, why is there music in the background? Like it shouldn't, you shouldn't have that. Like it's, you know, and a lot of movies now will get away with like that kind of thing by like, you know, putting a thing in the beginning where it's like, oh, this was a found footage that was pieced together by X and Y production company and, you know, put together and cut together for editing. And so they they kind of get away from that. But I think like also like when you have like the terrible CG ghosts and all that in the found footage, it just it takes you out of it because then you can't be in that moment and think, oh, man, is this real? Like this is like paranormal activity was so good because when it came out, much like Blair Witch Project, you knew so little about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it felt real because you were like, well, crap. You know, this is scary as hell. Like this is, you know, there was not a lot of marketing. So it wasn't like all over the TV initially. And it felt like it was like a little indie flick that just like happened to go into the movie theater. Yeah, 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 no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think there's that uh, Bobcat Goldthwait Bigfoot film. I can't remember what it's called. Is it Willow Creek? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a because because that was one of his one of his issues was the was when when found footage films are kind of over edited and um, and so he's got that scene in the tent where the couple are just wait just they hear a noise and they they sort of wake up in the tent and and he just keeps the camera on and I think it's about ten or fifteen minutes and you're just sort of looking at this couple uh, with noises <laughs> going on um, because his argument was well this is this is what actual fan footage would be like is that, yeah. is that you would just be staring at this, um, which I think is, is a great idea. But, um, it's, uh, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 I think there are a few things that, that, that the book of shadows is trying to kind of uh, pick up on from the, from the kind of found footage, because cause I think it, it, there's, a, there's um, an element of it as well. That's, um, you know, the idea of everything. I think that video idea, everything you see on videos is real. is because, because of, news i suppose because of the kind of news footage so it kind of adds this kind of authenticity to it but then and i suppose because well not maybe not because of Blair Witch, but we're also kind of getting to that point in the late 90s where you start to realize that that can be manipulated as well and not necessarily it's not necessarily the truth which i think is a bit a lot of what this film's about as well is that 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 not not all of that can be believed because ultimately, the secret to what's going on is on their on the videotape, and they the, the, the whole second half of the film is is almost them just in post production trying to work out what well, what went wrong. And it's interesting because everybody there is hiding something. Yes, yeah, like everybody's yeah. everybody's kind of lying about something. Tristan and Stephen are you know trying to be the happy couple, and they're not. Yeah. You know, Tristan is hiding the baby. Yeah. And Erica is hiding the fact that like she's lying about who she is. Mm. There's no preacher father and all that. They find that out. Kim mm. is hiding yeah. behind her goth makeup like you know like when Cravens is like take that makeup off like who do you think you are like yeah. you know and she ends up like kind of breaking down and obviously 
you know, Jeff is hiding his mental illness. Like, so everyone's kind of hiding something in this movie and not present, like, there's definitely this theme of things not being what they seem. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also then becomes, I think at the end, when you kind of realize what has happened, it becomes the comment on um, kind of mass hysteria, I suppose, as well, is that, that, that certainly the the kind of survivors of kind of if i mean it depends if it, if it is to be believed what you, the, if the way the film ends is to be believed because i think i know again for the director really wanted it to be more ambiguous than it than it is but they kind of believe this sort of delusion together um which i think again is this this, this sort of comment on on and perhaps a kind of hysterical comment, but like a, a kind of comment on Blair Witch Project and and the and the response to it. Uh, suddenly, you know, you have all these people descending on this town because they believe that this thing is real. But then I don't know. I don't know if the people going to Burkittsville did they really believe that Blair Witch Project was a real thing, or were they just going because it was a cool film, like Kim says? Um, I guess that's the question. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a mixture of both. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, people like, you know, people descend on movie homes and all that. Like, you have the house in New Mexico with Breaking mm. Bad and, like, right. they actually yeah. had to, like, fence it off and stuff. And they have, like, a bunch of, like, do not disturb signs everywhere because people were, like, literally going and throwing pizzas on their roof. And so I think that, like, it is that, like, mass you know, hysteria over things like people like, I I always feel like it's kind of like, I would love to go to movie places. But at the same time, I'm like, if someone lives there, that's so weird. Like, that's their home. Like, how would I feel if somebody was coming and posing in front of my house daily? (laughs) It's like an invasion of privacy. Like, yeah, no, it's totally, it's totally not okay. <laughs> but, like it's, it's so weird, but it's like at the same time, like when you buy that house, like, you know, that's a famous house. So like, yeah, yeah. do you just like accept that that's what it is or do you fight back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, yeah, yeah. I mean, the number of people I see sort of taking photos outside uh, Stephen King's house, that seems to come up on my Twitter like all the time. <laughs> is he okay with I guess he is okay with it, to be honest, but um yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like there are definitely some, you know, celebrities and actors and people who are far like cooler about it. Yeah. But I also yeah. would wager that Stephen King fans are not like crazy hyper aggressive about it. Like, yes, I guess, I guess that's the thing. I mean, I suppose if you're working, like, say you're working in like I don't know a diner in Burkittsville and a hundred people a day are coming in and asking you about Rustin Parr or whatever, then that must get um, really irritating. <laughs> I would have thought. But I mean, I, I guess you could argue that on the flip side of that, like it's bringing tourism to your town and bringing like money to your town. So it's like, yeah. I feel like there's kind of like the balance that you have to try to find because like on the one hand, it's it's annoying but at the other it's like i guess you know people are legitimately spending money in your town which is good for livelihoods so (laughs) i I, I would imagine that it's a hard balance (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, the other, I think the other thing that, that I think that the other reason there was such a big response to it, and this is one of the things they talk about in that, that uh, found footage documentary on, on Shudder, is that I think in the late 90s, with this, I, mean, I don't know if I have any experience with this, but they, they talk about there being a kind of, uh, I suppose, an absence of sort of spirituality in, in the kind of youth at that time, which I guess is, um, it, I don't I, I mean, I definitely, because I'm, I'm someone who's like, I always go to, like, I prefer supernatural horror to the kind of psychological horror, I suppose, which is, which is why I, but I've always considered Blair Witch to be kind of supernatural. To, to me, that's like, I've always been like, oh, there's definitely a witch in it. <laughs> there's, there's, there's I just, I just saw an article that I, I think you'd find interesting given hmm. where you're from. And I, I didn't read the article yet. It's on my, like, I've been so swamped, but I saved it because I wanted to read it. And it was talking about how the Blair Witch Project is actually like this. The author was making an argument that it was actually Faye, not a witch. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Which would make it actually more of a folk horror movie, which I, I was like, that's an interesting take. Like, I mean, it doesn't work, I don't think, with the following two movies. Yeah. But yeah. if you looked at it from the first movie only, that would be an interesting premise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's, I mean, I think this is what's so cool about the idea is the way it can kind of and what's so cool about that that the history and the 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 sort of made up history of it is that one of the things I love about the um the the Burkittsville 7 documentary that's on on the DVD is that that kind of reframes the the Rustin Parr murder as as being committed by one of the other kids and it's such a weird it's a weird thing to be watching anyway because you're like this is all fake <laughs> but it's yeah. really well done it's really it's done really well and it's a really believable true crime story and then and it's, it involves this fake like there's a bit where they go to this fake asylum and uh, in the documentary from the 60s that they refer back to and and this is what uh, is great about book of shadows is that, that it shows you what how many layers there are to these things that you know you, you watch blair witch and you just kind of they tell you the stories and you just go oh, yeah that's that that's that's what happened and then i think the whole kind of thesis of blair witch of book of shadows is that well there are kind of layers and people involved and real lives involved that you don't kind of realize until you kind of get into it but um yeah i think that i think that's why it's a strong story because you can go in diff- so many different directions with these and you can go back and um and pick them apart so i should probably try and wrap this up but what did you think of the uh the other sequel the, the blair recent- witch yes yeah i i really like that one too you know honestly i thought it was like a really strong horror movie. And I, I think that it's also much like book of shadows. I think it was very kind of indicative of its time too. Like I, mm. I really do love how the Blair, Witch kind of franchise grows yeah. with like time, like, and it doesn't try to like, like it goes back to the found footage roots, which I appreciate, but it also brings in like, the contemporary found footage tools, like, you know, the drone shots and like, and I think it uses a lot of that really effectively. And it it kind of gives you like the claustrophobic moments, which reminds me of like, you know, the taking of Deborah Logan and like, like it kind of like that under the ground in the caves, like, and I'm super claustrophobic. So like that scene where she's like in the tunnels under the house, like, 
is just terrifying to me. Yeah, I'm like, no, nope, yeah. nope, this girl is not okay with this. Uh-uh. And what I do appreciate about the look of the witch in the end, I know a lot of people didn't like seeing the witch, but what it really reminded me of is back in the early 2000s, uh, I think it was McFarlane Toys did a set of Blair Witch figures. Uh, I'd forgotten about, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And the witch in that looked very inspired by that, which I right. loved. Like, I was like, oh, I see that. Like, I, I can see where it felt like the similarities were there. And I right. actually think Adam Wingard did a really good job. It was yeah. it was a really creepy movie. And there were literally moments, like we saw it in the theater at an advanced screening. My husband and I actually did a recipe for our food blog. And that was like one mm. of the first recipes that we actually did for like the studio reps here in Phoenix. For And so I was super excited because I was a huge, you know, obviously I'm a huge Blair Witch fan. And right. we drove hours out of our city to go take photos of this cocktail in the middle of the forest. Mm. And we made a little found footage video, like hunting for the quote unquote spirit. Right. <laughs> and it was really silly. And I just... I just remember seeing this in the theater and we saw it. We ended up seeing it, I think twice in the theater mm. and there were audible gasps during certain scenes. And I just remember like, just being like, Oh, this is what found footage is like all about. Like, you know, it's everybody being in the theater being like scared together. And like, there's like that tension. And like, yeah. I love that. Like, I, I feel like they're like seeing paranormal activity movies in the theater is yeah. kind of the same thing. Like you get, that really great tension. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing the first one and just every time it cut to the bedroom, you'd just hear everyone, there were people just going, oh no. Exactly. <laughs> it was amazing seeing that. With I remember I saw also, I saw like uh, Grave Encounters in a tiny oh, right. theater. It, it did not get a major theatrical release here, but like a small theater that was, which is sadly no longer in business, hmm. showed it. And it was like, I mean, we're talking like a 30 seat theater. Like this right. is a tiny room. And there were like four of us in this showing. And it was just like seeing it on the semi big screen, because it wasn't even really a big screen, right. <laughs> just made that movie so much more tense. And right, yeah. I, I feel like with movies like this, you just you want that audience. Like I, I, I find that when I watch movies with other people who are as into it as you are. Like when you get the people who don't really care, it's not yeah. fun. But when you see like movies with like a group of folks who build into the hysteria, as it were, mm. it makes it so fun. And I feel like book of shadows was kind of that way. Like for me too, yeah. like at the time people were excited to see it. It wasn't like you didn't have the same like level of like people who go to hate watch a movie. No, I, it was still. I think the 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 internet was still in, enough in its infancy that that it was wasn't as mean as it is now. <laughs> exactly, and so I I just I I really like I I really love the Blair Witch franchise. I always will. I I really do suggest to fans of the series that they go back and read those D. A. Stern books. Right. There's yeah. there's three of them. There's the Blair Witch Project dossier. There's Book of Shadows, mm -hmm. and then there's one called Rustin Parr's Diary. Okay. Wow. And I feel like those fill in a lot of gaps, and they right. give you, like, background documents and, like, background stories and stuff, and it really enhances the watch experience. Like, right. 
I I don't think that, you know, I, I've had people tell me, well, I shouldn't have to read books to, you know, like a movie. Well, no, you, sh- you shouldn't. But these help enhance the experience. Like, I don't yeah. think you need to read them. But if you're already like a fan, I really suggest you like read it because I think it will make you even more of a fan. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds really good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really into that. I, like I think I think doing that kind of embracing kind of backstories and things like I mean like, I think if I hadn't seen the curse of Blair Witch I don't I, I think that massively changed my perception of the original film and I think that's just having that background yeah it's amazing I think it, it, it really enhances it especially with a story like this but yeah I always I always I mean because I'm I was completely side subject but i'm the same with like star wars like i'll always read extra star wars stuff because i think the more backstory you have is good but you don't have to read any of it <laughs> yeah oh no much- i 100 <laughs> percent agree i was like that kid who could name like everyone in jabba's palace like as yeah, a child yeah. like i was like oh that's salacious crumb over there and oh yeah. that's size snoodles and max rebo and like i was all about that and so yeah yeah like I, you know, I still have my copies of Tales from Jabba's Palace and oh, um, what's the other one, Tales from Moss Eisley. And it was right. like, you know, paperback books that they wrote way back when. And they were just yeah. like little side stories of those characters. Yeah. And occasionally that stuff, there'll be some reference or a character will turn up in something or something. Will get, and you'll get like, oh, I know what that is. And it's just. You're like, I feel yeah. so smart because I knew what that <laughs> yeah, was before exactly. you. Yeah. 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 But I do think, yeah. No, but particularly with, with the horror stuff, I do think it I do think it enhances it. I and mean, I think I think for me, I think Blair Witch 2 is about like, because I, 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 I've always liked it, but I think it's this. When you look into what the the director's approach to it, I think it's this example of what on the studio's part was this this huge kind of um, was like a proper kind of cash grab. It was like, well, we need to get a film out within a year somehow with the Blair Witch name on it. But because of doing that, they get in a way completely the wrong director. <laughs> like <laughs> I can see how he's the right director on paper, but but what they get is an academic who does something i i think really interesting with it and some of which i think because of the stuff he was made to change and i i do wonder sometimes i wonder had were we able to watch and you things you can never even when they do director's cuts of things you can never see something for the first time so i do wonder had it been his cut that had come out i don't know necessarily if that would have been any better or even any different um yeah because so, it's it's easy to say that in in hindsight, but I, I do think, but I do think there were some fascinating ideas, and I think he was trying things that, like we said from the beginning, it's just a really different. It's it's just a completely unexpected approach to the to the material, and I think that 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 stands still holds up. Yeah, it was it was definitely like an, an attempt to kind of make more of what was already out there. Yeah, yeah, and I think he didn't want to make more of what was already out there. And they knew that they didn't want to do found footage, but it had to kind of be involved somehow. Yeah. And I I actually, like I said, I really like how this ended up. Like I I will forever defend this movie. It is it is one of my favorites. It has been one of my favorites since it came out. I like like I said, I'm not like late to the party bandwagon hopping on this one. I Oh no, no, I can tell I've you. always loved it. It's it's one of those movies that 
I, I have a habit of liking movies that nobody else seems to like. Like my right. favorites are always like the ones people look at me like, really, mm-hmm. really. And so I, I have no problem, you know, getting on my soapbox <laughs> and talking about why Book of Shadows is an underrated horror classic <laughs> that everybody should be watching. <laughs> oh. well, I think that's fantastic, though, because I think um, it's 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 boring if everyone just sort of <laughs> likes the same films. But no, I, I do agree, though. I do think it's do think it's an interesting film. So yeah, um, before before I get, before we go, do you want to just talk about um, uh, your podcasts? Uh, yeah, I, I I host a Final Girls Feast, which is a podcast. Um, that I run with a colleague of mine. She and I both had food blogs, right? And we we both do like movie recipes. And when COVID hit, both of us were kind of bored, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were like, "Well, hey, let's just do this uh, movie podcast, like where we talk about food and horror movies." And we we didn't think much of it. We're like, "Oh, there aren't very many food horror movies. We're gonna get through our movies in like a year and whatever." Mm-hmm. And here we are, two years later, and we've we've discovered that there is more food in horror movies that aren't food based, right? Than you think. Like we just did The Shining. Yes, I, I listened to I, that one. Yeah, and I had three pages of notes of food in the <laughs> movie, and I was like, "Oh, well." okay and we've talked to directors and it's always so funny when we invite directors on because they don't Mm -hmm. think that there's that much food in their movie and then it turns out that we have an hour-long conversation and they always say the same thing i didn't realize there was so much food in my movie (laughs) and so we always laugh about this and we we joke that we're gonna have like a bingo card of like things that come up in our podcast right and that's 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 always one of them because it without fail always happens and so we've been doing it for a couple years and we, we don't really have any plans to stop. So oh, cool. I, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun to talk about food horror. Cause it's my, it's, it's second to fa- actually, I would say it's first nowadays. Uh, found footage was like my genre. It's what brought me and my husband together. It saved our first date, but food horror has become like a big thing for me. So I, I've been watching a lot of food horror and a lot of cannibalism movies, which uh, I don't okay. know. I don't know if, you know, my husband loves this or not, but he, <laughs> he he's a really good sport and he he puts up with my need to buy really crappy cannibalism movies all the right. time just so I can <laughs> watch them because they don't stream anywhere. So you have to buy a physical copy of them. Right, right. And so I have like I, I just bought the Spanish Chainsaw Massacre and it was awful. Okay. It was so bad. I, I've never. I, I don't think I've seen a movie this bad before. Right. Like it was so bad, and he walked in, saw it, and then just turned around and walked out. Yeah, you did go go, go down those rabbit holes. Don't you? I, I think I, I mean a long time ago, so there weren't even that many films to watch. But I at one point decided to watch all the zombie films, like as many zombie. I had this book of like A to Z of zombie films, and I was like, I'm going to watch all of them. And you start. Yeah, finding all kinds, and you think, how? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, life? like, what did I start? What did I like think? This, yeah. Why did I think this was a good idea? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but then, it, but then you also find some you, the incredible films in that as well. So exactly, you, and I'm I'm really happy that we're starting to see like 
and I, I hate using the term elevated horror because I think that that's silly. But well, yeah, I think it's a studio term, really. Yeah, we're we're seeing a lot more elevated horror, like cannibalism movies, right? Okay. Which I'm really appreciating. Like you have like Fresh that just came out, and no, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's yeah. it's really good. I don't know what the equivalent to Hulu is there. I think if you, over over oh, here it's on uh, it's on Disney. Um, oh, okay. So if if you can find Fresh. I highly recommend it because it's, okay. it's a very fun, but kind of gross cannibalism movie. Right. But right. it's it's really good. And right. so I, I've been enjoying this kind of resurgence of have you, good cannibalism movies. Right. Have you seen Raw? The, the I have. Film? I have. It's beautiful. Oh, that's what, yeah, that's one of my favorite favorite recent films i just thought that was it's a it's it's one of those movies that i saw the first time and i was like okay that was fine and then i watched it a second time for somebody else's podcast right and i was like wow i really i really like this movie quite a bit yeah yeah i I think it's amazing i think yeah (laughs) but it's not it's not because it's not particularly scary and it's in some ways i mean there are gory bits but it's not sort of it's almost like barely a horror film at times but it's just it's just very strange and some of the uh i just uh, yeah some of the filmmaking in that it's amazing there's there's, there's like yeah there's some great shots <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and her, her follow-up film um titane i, I went to see that i haven't seen that one yet it's on and my that, watch list but i haven't incredible. yeah that's that's worth checking out as well <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I will, I will, I will probably hit, put that into my hundred horror movies day challenge that I'm starting in August. So I, I started doing my hundred horror movies in 92 days challenge. Wow. Um, when COVID hit, because I obviously, I couldn't go anywhere. Like I had nothing. And then that year, only like one other person did it with me. And then I shared it again last year and it took off like, it was huge. Like oh, okay. I had so many people like letterbox, like they shared it. So a lot of people like did it on their letterbox lists. Right. Uh, Fangoria put it in their, like their terror teletype, like email newsletter. Oh, amazing. And so we got a lot of like traction on it. And yeah. so I'm, I'm planning it again this year. Right. And I've, I've been really like having like a difficult time with like attention and watching movies right now. So I'm like, Oh gosh, mm. this year is going to be really brutal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but I, I I'm sure I will. Like I, I have a list of movies a mile long that I need to watch. So right. yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. The, um, just thinking about food horror. Have you seen a film uh, called Honeydew? Yes. Oh, that movie was so good. It was so crazy. It was g- gory. It was like pretty at the same time. Like yeah. it was, and it was really hard to find on Blu-ray. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not watching it on now. It's on on something over here, but it's um, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's really. I watched it last night. It was really surprised me. <laughs> it was yeah. It was a really kind of bonkers movie. I saw it yeah. during. I think I saw it during a film festival. I can't right. remember which one. But I did really like that movie. It was just so crazy. Like I, yeah. I and I recognize it will not be a movie for everyone. Like, no, no. I mean, that's. I think that's that's kind of what I love is that kind of weird, almost art house horror mm-hmm. where it's kind of just on the cusp of being 
too weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely like it's like one of those like elevated elevated horror cannibalism movies. Like I feel like, and there's a there's a great movie. It's um, gosh, it's either Icelandic or Norwegian. I can't Mm -hmm. remember which, and it's called Cadaver. Oh, okay. And it was it's on Netflix here. I don't know where it where it's streaming there. Right. But it's it's another it's like a social commentary cannibalism, like the right. rich are eating the poor kind of deal. Oh, okay. Okay. That sounds like good. they get like the the lower income people get invited to this fancy dinner and then it turns out they're the dinner for the rich people. Right. And so it's like the this like mother's like attempt to escape and all that so it's a really good one though i i definitely recommend it it's okay cool I'll, I'll I, I, it's it's a cannibalism movie that i think like people with a weaker stomach could probably handle a little bit better right right okay i have okay. a lot of friends who don't do cannibalism movies because it's just too gory for them so i'm always trying to find ones that are a little bit more subdued right <laughs> Right. Which is which is kind of funny when you're thinking about movies about cannibalism. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult one, I think. <laughs> yeah. So that was me talking to you, Spooky Terror Says, about Blair Witch 2. Uh, I've put a link to her website and the Final Girls Feast podcast in the show notes. So I recommend you go and check that out. Yes, and the next episode will be an interview with uh, James Dermond, who, who is a horror author who's writes these really great like short story collections anyway we'll get into all that next week but we talk we're also talking about the omen uh we were talking i was talking to james about what to review just off the back of um releasing the time of time episode so just had the news that david warner had died and as always i always get like a list of films and one of the ones james suggested was the omen and i was like yeah i have to do another david warner film so yeah so we talk about that that'll be probably in a couple of weeks and that'll be the last episode for this season because uh, I need to take a break and I should probably mention this as well as I do do another podcast as well called Just The Thing we just wrapped up the first season of that yeah that's worth checking out as well it's more of a kind of comedy podcast I think I might have mentioned it before but it's um, uh, it's myself and another writer Joel Jessup and we talk about uh, we pick a film each week and we kind of um, try to reimagine it if, if the creature from Joel Carpenter's The Thing was in it so um, yeah please do check that as well we've got the second season of that is coming up but anyway uh, but thanks for listening and and I'll see you in a couple of weeks <laughs>